and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Blanchett. Today's episode features content from an educational program titled Contemporary Management of HIV. During this podcast, Dr. David Hardy from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine discusses optimizing first-line HIV treatment selection based on current guidelines and recent clinical trial data. For more information on Dr. Hardy and for a link to the full online educational program, including downloadable slides specific to today's discussion, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what Dr. Hardy has to say about initiating antiretroviral therapy and treatment-naive patients with HIV. So what do the, uh, our guidelines that we use most commonly in the U.S., the DHHS or IAS USA say? The recommendations are all about integrase inhibitors. There, are no, there is no regimen that does not contain an integrase inhibitor. The most recently updated guidelines, uh, the DHHS, which were last updated in December of last year, have now also included the new two-drug regimen of doitegavir 3TC as one of those integrase-based regimens, plus one nuke this time, as opposed to two nukes, as the other regimens above have been uh, already approved. With, but doitegavir 3TC has come with some ex- exceptions, um, meaning patients with baseline viral load of greater than 500,000 who are co-infected with chronic hepatitis B, or for those whose results of an HIV genotype are not back at the time of starting therapy. The IESUSA recommendations, which we anticipate will be updated sometime next, I should say later this month, uh, just before the International AIDS Conference, uh, are, are the same, but much more slimmed down. The only uh, two, the only uh, nukes that are used here are TAF and, and Abacavir uh, with 3TC or FTC. Um, and they have not commented on the two drug regimen of doitegavir 3TC at this time. So let's kind of look at some of the background for why the guidelines are really all about integrase inhibitors. And this slide shows the results of many studies which have pitted an integrase inhibitor um, against other agents, including other integrase inhibitors in one case, or in two cases, three cases, I should say, but also against boosted PIs, and as well as one case of NNRTI. And, and as you can see, there's been non-inferiority between these different third-class uh, regimens, or the study has actually favored, shown to be superior, that is, the integrase inhibitor. And that's really what uh, I think is underlying these change in these recommendations to be all about integration inhibitors. There's very good and consistent uh, clinical trial data being able to support these recommendations, of course. Um, what are the, uh, when looking down there at the, at the three integration inhibitors which are in the guidelines, how do you choose among these? And this slide really looked at the pros and cons, the advantages and disadvantages of each one. So just starting kind of from um, the oldest one, raltegravir, certainly we have the longest experience as it was approved in 2007. Uh, this drug has very few drug, drug or f- food interactions. And right now it is the preferred option for a pregnant woman, uh, as well as a woman who is, who is looking to become pregnant or is planning to get pregnant. Um, the problem is, is that there's no STR that's marketed in the United States containing raltegravir, so multiple pills are required. Uh, it has a lower barrier to resistance than other than the Bictegravir or Dolutegravir regimens, and there's limited safety, limited safety data at conception, although it is still one of the recommended regimens. Um, other medications, Dolutegravir you see there, is available in two different forms of a single tablet regimen, but also by itself, 
um, that to be combined with other drugs. There are few, few drug and food interactions, high barrier to resistance, indicating really no evidence of, re of breakthrough with resistance, um, and is a preferred option for pregnant women, women that is who are already pregnant. Um, Abacavir is part of the co-formulation of one of these STRs and of course requires HLA B5701 testing. Um, it does in fact increase metformin concentrations in the blood and there is still some concerns regarding safety at the conception or during early pregnancy. And finally, our newest kit on the block, Bictegravir, is available only in a STR uh, with FTC and TAF. Again, food, few food or drug interactions, high barrier to resistance like Doritegravir has the least amount of data, however, in terms of both clinical practice as well as clinical trials, and um, it has limited safety records in pregnancy. So let's move forward a little bit more. Um, one thing that has become uh, interesting in this, as we look at our new medications, is the fact that from a very nice um, uh, pooled analysis of eight phase three randomized clinical trials, looking at the first line ART initiation that were carried out between 2003 and 2015 and over 5,500 patients. Paul Sachs published in the Clinical, uh, clinical Infectious Disease late last year um, an evaluation of weight gain. And as you can see here, moving from left to right, the integration inhibitors did in fact have statistically greater weight gain over the two-year period of analysis here. This may also have been because of the time uh, factors that were involved in this as the movement towards integration inhibitors were uh, during this time going from rare to very common. In the middle panel there, we see that the two most recently approved integration inhibitors, Bictegravir and Doitegravir, have very similar increases in weight gain over Elvitegravir, Cobacistat. And finally, in the right panel, we see something that's also very interesting. Um, our most recently approved uh, nucleoside TAF um, has statistically greater weight gain over the two-year period of time than other um, um, <clears throat> older uh, nucleoside analogs, including abacavir, tenofovir, and of course, zidovudine. So I think this is really something that is telling us that among a population of patients that is very commonly studied here in the United States from these uh, trials, um, we see that there is in fact significant weight gain with integration inhibitors, both bictegravir and doitegravir, and TAF greater than the other ones. What really, I think, really spurred a lot of this concern was the advanced trial that many of you are probably already uh, aware of and familiar with that showed that in a population of 99% Africans in South Africa and a large proportion of women uh, over 60% um, in this trial of new, of new uh, therapy, looking at three different regimens of efavirenz, FTC, tenofovir, doitegravir plus FTC, tenofovir, or doitegravir plus FTC, TAF, weight gain over the two-year period of study was greatest for the doitegravir TAF arm. Um, it seemed to be peak at about 48 weeks and then somewhat plateau in men, but in women, it was very different. The increase all increased at 48 weeks, but also continued to increase for all, all arms of the study. And as you can see, for the women especially, that weight gain with doitegravir TAF was in fact statistically greater than in the other two arms throughout the study. Uh, culminating in a nine kilogram weight gain at the end of two years, which is something that of course is very um, uh, significant. Um, so that's something that I think we need to keep an eye on is, is weight gain, especially with our most recently approved integrase inhibitors and of course TAF as well. What the mechanism behind this is, is really not clearly understood, but it is something that is under, under very good study. 
but it's, I think, becoming one of the factors we need to keep in mind when we start antiretroviral therapy. Similarly, um, neuropsychiatric adverse events and drug discontinuations have been seen with integration inhibitors as well. Uh, and then from this one retrospective German study, um, there has been evidence to show that dolutegravir is more commonly associated with neuropsychiatric adverse events than other integration inhibitors that were studied during this time between 2007 and 2016. These included elvitegravir and raltegravir. You'll notice that the complaints were more in terms of insomnia, sleep disturbances, poor concentration, dizziness, headache, depression. Um, and again, I think that we need to characterize that these seem to be somewhat different than the neuropsychiatric side effects we'd al already well um, familiar with, with the fabrins. These tend to be sometimes more stimulating than sometimes than, su than suppressive of, of the mental status. Uh, females, older patients, and patients that were started with onabacavir or started on doitegavir more recently than, than before, than, late, than, than later, um, um, are the factors that this study, in fact, found were more commonly associated, associated with those neuropsychiatric side effects. It was good to know that when doitegavir was stopped, that these side effects did um, resolve in the majority of patients. Uh, here's the Sapamo study, which all, all of you I'm sure have heard about before. Um, this is the study that in uh, 2018, we heard a, a signal that while looking for the occurrence of neural tube defects with efavirenz, what actually came out of, that, of this study was a surprise of an increased uh, incidence of neural tube defects associated with doitegravir. Uh, the second time the study was, was updated in July of 2019, we saw that there had been a decrease in that incidence <clears throat> down to 0.3, um, but was still uh, significantly higher than the other arms of, of, of women being followed, started on other um, regimens that were started at conception with pregnancy. And I'll just, just mention to you that at the, this year's conference, the International AIDS Conference, that 0.3 actually decreased to 0.19 while the other levels, uh, the other incidences also stayed about the same. So what has now been seen in the third follow-up of this, of this uh, cohort, um, ongoing cohort study, is that the incidence of neural tube defects has continued to decline um, to within what is within the same statistical uh, bounds um, as what it is for non-dolitegravir um, uh, regimens in women with conception. Um, how this will affect the guidelines in the U.S. is something to be seen. Uh, as we'll talk about, the guidelines have already been affected by this uh, for the World Health Organization. So what do we know about in, in integrated use during pregnancy and birth outcomes? I think the, the big question uh, here um, is not a whole heck of a lot, especially not in the United States, because as the, as the uh, Sapamo study is um, being presented, it's important to remember this was done entirely in, in the country of Botswana, in Southern Africa. The best we actually have in the United States is really the Anti-Retroviral Pregnancy Registry, uh, which we have data here from reported through July of last summer. And what it did show was that the increased risk of birth defects was not demonstrated with any first-line integration inhibitor above the population expected rate of, of defects uh, from two very large pregnancy cohorts, one from a metropolitan Atlanta and one from Texas. And what this really showed was that, number one, the number of total outcomes on these medications, especially Bictegravir, uh, but also similar to the other integration inhibitors followed as well, was very small. But as it shows here, only one neural tube defect actually occurred 
um, in, with periconception use of doitegravir here, but again, not different than what was expected in population. So let's focus in on raltegravir for just a second. We know that the data we have about adverse events with this in terms of pregnancy comes from raltegravir's maker, uh, from their manufacturer adverse uh, event reporting, re review and reporting system or MARS, in which there were 961 prospective and 520 retrospective reports about the use of the medication in and around pregnancy, um, which reported again through about a year ago. What they showed was there was no evidence of an increased rate of spontaneous abortion, stillbirth, congenital anomalies in pregnant women exposed to raltegravir versus background population. Further, no neural tube defects in prospective reports when raltegravir exposure was, was uh, found to be used at conception or during the first trimester. Uh, one case of anencephaly, but this was actually something that the Rotegravir was started in the second trimester. To go along with that, there have been um, reports from two large cohorts of pregnant women, HIV positive pregnant women on medications from both the UK and from France that did not show any neural tube defects. So what do our guidelines say about uh, periconception in integrate use? Well, in the US, um, the DHHS is saying that there is insufficient dolutegravir periconception uh, exposures uh, either re reported through the antiretroviral pregnancy registry to be able to determine whether there is an increased risk of this in the United States. For bictegravir, again, insufficient data. And from raltegravir, the data that you just saw from multinational cohorts, the um, antiretroviral pregnancy registry and the drug manufacturer is the best we have really got right now. But I think the important thing is, is what, are, what is gonna happen with this new data that we saw uh, just last week uh, at the International AIDS Conference in which the SAPAMO study is showing that that incidence of neural tube defects with doitegravir is continuing to fall. Well, the World Health Organization has already over a year ago, or about a, a little bit less than a year ago after the conference in, in, in Mexico City last summer, uh, said that doitegravir can be prescribed for adult women and adolescent girls of childbearing potential if they have been fully informed of the potential increase in the risk of neural tube defects um, used in conception and into the end of the first trimester. The DHHS currently says that doitegravir is a preferred antiretroviral medication for pregnant women, irrespective of trimester, meaning if a woman's already pregnant and probably at the end of, if not farther beyond the first trimester, fine to use doitegravir there. They have classified doitegravir as an alternative for women who are trying to conceive. Whether that's gonna stay the same based upon the more, the, the new um, SAPAMO data, SAPAMO uh, study data will yet to be seen. One of the things of course that's really made antiretroviral therapy work better and better all the time is the fact that there has been the, the pharm pharmacologic invention of the single tablet regimen. And as we can see here, we have many single tablet regimens and all three classes of our third agents, both integrase inhibitors, NNRTIs, and of course also the boosted PI, a single tablet regimen with the Runivir-Cobacistat, FTC, and TAF. Um, some of the uh, uh, caveats are shown here. Uh, the first one we'll kind of point out, of course, is that with the uh, newest single tablet regimen for initiation of therapy, doitegravir 3TC, the guidelines are saying don't use it if the viral load at baseline is above 500,000. Um, or has or the patient has co-infection with hepatitis C 
or there is no resistance testing available. This was really what followed. These, these recommendations really came from the entry criteria for the study, uh, the Gemini study, which was uh, used to actually license this medication. Anytime one is considering to use a Bacavir, one must have an HLA B5701 result. And the other, only other thing is about, about the use of rilpivirine in patients that have, should not be used in patients with high viral loads or low CD4 cell counts. Well, speaking of the Gemini study, uh, I think this is the uh, bit of information that many of you probably already know, is that this uh, new two-drug option, which was approved uh, some time ago for uh, initiation of therapy um, as a year ago, was, was demonstrated to, to have good non-inferior um, efficacy in terms of virologic suppression to a three-drug regimen of doitegavir, FTC, and tenofovir. Uh, so this is continuing to show good um, compar comparability uh, to the three-drug regimen. Looking at other, 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 other single-tablet regimens, um, the AMBER study, which basically compared the single-tablet regimen of boosted darunavir plus FTC-TAF to components of, of that regimen, except in two different pills, darunavir plus COBE, um, and also FTC plus tenofovir. Uh, this is, study has been carried out now through 96 weeks. And again, what we can see here is that the comparability, the non-inferiority in terms of virologic uh, suppression is, is still holding out through 96 weeks. Um, the, the numbers are lower here than the, you saw there in the Gemini study because the definitions of virologic failure were in fact different for each one of the studies. Um, it's also important to know that across uh, different subgroups, whether the viral load was above or below 100,000, CD4 cells were higher or less than 200 or age, uh, was greater than less than 50 sexual rates did not make a difference uh, in terms of the way those patients were came out in in terms of uh, the the use of these different um, darunavir, boosted darunavir options. Um, there was in fact one patient that had a M184B and the Noitegavir uh, Kobe Kobe arm, uh, but there was no evidence of any emergent darunavir uh, primary PI mutations or or tenofovir uh, resistance mutations either. Our newest NNRTI, deravirine, <clears throat> um, has been compared um, to both the Favrins and to boosted darunavir. Uh, both of these studies, the drive ahead and the drive forward study respectively, have in fact shown uh, non-inferiority through 96 weeks for, for the, uh, compared to the uh, new agent of darunavir plus two nukes. Um, again, lower percentages there because definition of uh, treatment of uh, virologic failure was in fact different. Uh, than it was in the Gemini studies. And this is important, I think, to really point out is that the, in the resistance analysis from both of these studies, uh, there was, in fact, seen darunavir resistance in 1.6% of the darunavir patients, but higher in the efavirenz patients. And also, even in the uh, drive-forward study, while there was some resistance um, to both darunavirin, excuse me, to darunavirin plus uh, nuclear resistance, uh, there was nuclear resistance, but no PI resistance uh, with the boosted uh, darunavir patients. So just do some comparisons of integrase versus boosted PIs as first-line therapy. Um, of course, some of the, the pros for why we've always used boosted PIs in the past has been about starting antiretroviral therapy before the availability of resistance data, uh, and if there's high risk for poor adherence. These have been sort of the standard uh, reasons why boosted PIs have been preferred uh, historically, whether these still stand up in the age of, of our uh, high vir virologic barrier, high vir bar barrier to resistance, um, unboosted 
uh, integration inhibitors has really, really, I think, starting to really chip away. So this is not becoming so much of, a, of an advantage, unique advantage, I would say, of boosted PIs. Uh, the challenges with boosted PIs, of course, are drug-drug interactions, GI intolerance, hyperlipidemia, cardiovascular risk, particularly with boosted darunavir, and of course, adazanavir is not available as a single type of regimen. When we compare Indian RTIs to integration inhibitors, again, the pros for this, of course, are the fact that when patients start experiencing adverse events, perhaps to an integrase, this the Indian RTI would be a next best option. Uh, we can use um, uh, uh, ropivirine and ephedrine as secondary options in women who are pregnant. You know, in fact, one thing that the Sapamo data actually has demonstrated is that in the women who've been, who were being started on ephedrine, that the incidence of neural tube defects was in fact very, very low, really not much different than that uh, from women who are HIV negative. And of course, the option that we may be seeing more and more all the time is in the patient experiencing weight gain with INSTEs or with INSTEs plus uh, uh, TAF. The downside about NNRTIs are several though, low barrier to resistance, neuropsychiatric uh, side effects, higher virologic failure with ropivirine in persons with high viral load or low CD4 cells. Ropivirine must be taken with, a, with food and cannot be used uh, with acid-lowering medications or antacids. There's the fixed dose combination with deravirine uh, includes sinopavir but not TAF. There are lipid increases with the favarins and the drug-drug interactions are more complicated with both the favarins and ropivirine. So one of the questions I think keeps coming up repeatedly um, as we progress in our development of, of, of antiretroviral therapy is, is there still a role for tenofovir in today's first-line regimens? You know, we've used tenofovir for over 20, almost 20 years now. Uh, the co-formulations over the many regimens has been a real workhorse for, uh, for therapy for, long, for a long period of time. There are interesting lipid decreases of uncertain clinical significance that occurs um, characteristically with tenofovir containing regimens, the weight signal may actually be one that is maybe perhaps showing that weight goes down with tenofovir and only later starts to increase because of some effect it has on tenofovir versus maybe an increased cause of weight by TAF. So that may be something that's different than in terms of how these two different medications are in many ways much the same, have different effects on, on weight gain. Uh, it is a recommended a nuke in pregnancy still. Uh, and is available uh, as a generic currently with 3TC and will be available as a generic with FTC uh, in about two, two and a half months. Um, so supporting TAF, however, is that at week at three years of follow-up, TAF has been found to be superior to tenofovir based primarily on, on less effects on uh, kidney and bone demineralization, uh, less effects on um, uh, tubular dysfunction as well, and of course, smaller tablet for the TAF-containing medications as well. And finally, this is something that I think has become very clear to many people, but is there still a role for abacavir in today's first-line regimens? Um, abacavir has been used for a long time, uh, even a little bit longer than tenofovir. It's not really clear, which has been one of the advantages we've had in the past, but of course, we know that, that, that um, abacavir has its baggage. The fact that it must be done with an HLA B5701 test first, uh, the ACTG 5202 data, which showed that in combination with boosted adazanavir or favarins, it performed less, less well in terms of virologic suppression than tenofovir did. Um, always the concern about whether or not there is an association with a myocardial infarction, especially in those patients that already have several risk factors and increased risk of that already. 
Uh, and of course, more adverse events than tenofovir has been seen in several studies, and particularly because of nausea. So I'll just sum up here and leave you with some take home points. All the preferred initial regimens contain an unboosted integrase inhibitor plus nukes, either one or two. Dolitegavir and Bictegavir are the two latest, latest stage integrase inhibitors that have the highest resistance, barrier to resistance, more so than Raltegravir. FTC-TAP has improved safety, tolerability versus FTC-Tenofovir and Abacavir-3-TC, but appears to perhaps be associated with greater weight gain. And I think there was even more some evidence that we may want to talk about in terms of this in the recent International AIDS Conference as well. The new kit on the block, Dolitegavir plus 3-TC, is now recommended along three drug regimens for initiation of therapy, but with some caveats that we've talked about before. There are potential adverse events with integration inhibitors, which include, of course, increased weight, CNS, adverse events, possible risk to newborns at the time, if taken at the time of conception. And finally, there are several single tablet regimens now available representing all ARV drug classes. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Hardy. And thanks to listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the full educational program, Contemporary Management of HIV, on the Clinical Care Options website, click on the link in the show notes. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you.